My life is a celebration. Do you think about that much? I'm afraid a lot of us, you know, me included, sometimes our life is kind of mundane and we think it's boring. And uh, I heard my daughter say this week, I'm bored, you know, and I think we all get that way. But when you know Jesus Christ, your life is a celebration. It's exciting. And we can stand up and say, yes, I know Jesus Christ. I know he's going to be with me no matter what. And I know someday when all this mess is over, I'm going to spend eternity with him forever and ever. And it's just going to be a nonstop celebration of being with Jesus. Acts 2. We're going to go to back to Acts 2 today. And uh, that's what they were doing, man. They were celebrating. They couldn't stop talking about him. And this morning we see a very powerful sermon from Peter uh, as he stood up. And, uh, uh, man, they had just witnessed the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost had fell on this place. Uh, there was a mighty rushing wind, and there was what seemed to be uh, these tongues of fire, and they began to speak, and the people outside could hear, hear all of it in their own language, and it was just an amazing, amazing day. Let me review for you real quick from last uh, two weeks ago, but what, what the coming of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to zoom through these, but what the coming of the Holy Spirit, why is it important? Why was it a big deal? And it was a very big deal. First of all, it was promised by Jesus that he said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you a comforter. And I, I want you to know that I'm not going to leave you empty and, and all alone. There's someone coming, and, and you'll be able to do greater things with him than you did with me even, which is amazing. But first of all, the Holy Spirit draws us to salvation. If you're sitting in this room this morning, you've given your heart to Jesus sometime in your life, the Holy Spirit was responsible for drawing you to Jesus Christ. He convicted you. He put that in your heart that you just knew, you know, you had to, to go and tell someone, you had to thank him for what he had done for you, you had to ask for forgiveness of your sins. And so if the Holy Spirit had never come, the Bible said there's no way to come to the Father except through the Spirit, so the Spirit must draw you. So it's very important that the Holy Spirit came, amen, or we couldn't have been saved. Second one is the Holy Spirit indwells. When we are saved, he comes to live in you, all right? He indwells, he comes to live in you, and then he also convicts you. When you commit a sin, when you have trouble in your life, when you're going away from the Lord, the Holy Spirit lets you know. He, he picks at your heart and he lets you know, hey, don't get too far away. Turn around, repent, turn around and come back toward God because that's where it's sweetest. That's where it's the best. That's where you want to be, as close to God as you possibly can. Also, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And boy, we know that we need a comforter, especially in the crazy world that we live in, whether it be through sickness or, or death um, are, are just in life. Uh, you know, sometimes we just need to know that everything's going to be all right. And guys, through Jesus Christ and through the Comforter, through the Holy Spirit, we can know, even though this might be kind of a topsy-turvy type day or I'm going through a really bad point in my life or one of those valleys in life, there's soon coming a mountaintop, but also there's soon coming Jesus, and he's going to pay and make everything exactly the way it's supposed to be, exactly perfect. And also the Holy Spirit speaks for us. And, and we spoke about this a few weeks ago, and I just love it. He says, sometimes you don't know how to pray, or you feel like your prayers are not getting to the ceiling. And, and you just, I, I want to pray, but I don't even know how to begin this prayer. And the Bible says, in those cases, if we'll just be quiet, because the Holy Spirit indwells in us, and because God knows our heart, and he knows where we're at, and he knows where we're struggling, the Holy Spirit speaks and prays for us on, behalf, on our behalf to the, to the Savior. So you've got a part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, praying to Jesus Christ, a part of the Trinity, which in turn is our 
uh, interceding, he intercedes before, for us to God the Father. So you've got all three, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working on your behalf. That's pretty awesome. And then the Holy Spirit fills the believer, and that's what we kind of ended with a couple weeks ago, is that not only does he indwell us, there's a difference between being filled and being indwelled. We all have got a gas tank on our car, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's filled, all right? If you was my gas tank in high school, uh, my, my friends always accused me of the top three quarters being rusted out because I always bought $2 at a time, and back then that would bought you quite a bit of gas. But you had to, to fill it up was just an amazing thing, you know, when your tank was all the way full. And that's the way God does you. You have a gas tank when you are saved. He gives you that indwelling. But it's up to the Spirit, and it's up to you to study God's Word. It's up to you to pray. It's up to you to come to church. It's up to you to get around other God's people and to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And that keeps you close and keeps you excited. And you can't stop talking about Him when you have that filling of the Holy Spirit. So that's what happened on Pentecost. And as we left last time down there in verse 12 of chapter 2, this is not on the board, guys, but I'll get there in just a minute. In verse two, uh, 12 of chapter 2, it says, they were amazed and perplexed, and they asked one another, what does this mean? They, they were hearing these people talk about the goodness of God and the power of God, and they were, they were excited one minute, and they were perplexed the next, and it was overwhelming, and they go, what does this mean? And then at some, some though, are always going to look on the dark side. You know, we, we just have them people in life that are going to have sour grapes, and they're always grumbling about something. Don't be a grumbler, okay? Don't be a grumbler. There's enough of them out there. But some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. And so that's where we left off a couple weeks ago. And now we get to Peter standing up, and he begins to preach them a sermon. Now, remember that last time we seen Peter and John. Remember we studied through the book of John. We seen something very difficult in Peter's life. When he denied the Lord, he, 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 uh, he just said, I don't know him. I don't know him. He denied him three times. Very weak. Um, you know, even a little girl come up to him. He said, I don't know him. Don't ask me no more. Leave me alone. And he even cursed at people. He said, I don't know this man. Just leave me alone. And then we see, you remember at the very end of John, Jesus met with him on the, on the side of the, 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 the lake there, the Sea of Galilee, and they had breakfast together. And he said, Peter, if you, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed, feed my sheep. Take care of the people around you. And so Peter was reinstated, and, and him and the Lord were, were close again. And then we see the filling of the Holy Spirit here coming on Pentecost, and we see a totally different-looking Peter in these next verses. Guys, listen to me. When before you're saved and before you know Jesus and before the filling of the Holy Spirit, you're a completely different person than you are after the saving and Jesus coming into your life and the filling of the Holy Spirit. There should be a remarkable difference there. And we've seen it in people's lives. And, and usually it's a little easier to see in someone that was, you know, totally against God. And you've heard these great, great testimonies where, you know, I, I suffered with alcoholism or drugs or, or abuse or, you know, whatever. And, and you look at them now and you go, how in the world could that person be this person? And that's because of the power of God. It's because of the Holy Spirit just filling them and changing their heart and changing their life and changing their want-tos. And, and if you know him as, as Savior, he's done that in your life. He's changed your want-tos. Because your want-tos without Jesus are totally opposite. You totally go away from Jesus. Once you find Jesus, 
You still have them times where you want to go away, but there's this beckoning, there's conviction of the Holy Spirit that brings you back, and you want to be what Jesus wants you to be, and you want to be there and do the things that he wants you to do, and you want to lift him up and make much of Jesus. And that's what's happened to Peter here. And just look at the boldness that Peter has over these next few verses. Verse 14 of chapter 2. Then Peter stood up. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now, I'm sure he heard that saying or that little verse that we just read. I think they're all drunk. I think they're all full of wine. And Peter said, it's time to stand up and speak for my Lord. And he began to stand up and speak in a great, great power. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Now, this is a very important part of this lesson. We must realize that he is addressing the Jewish people. Now, a few weeks ago when we talked about Pentecost falling and there were people there from all over, most of these people were, uh, they, they were either Jewish people or they were proselyte Jews, which means they once believed something else, but they liked what the Jews had, and they began to follow the Jews' ways. They, they went to their Passover feast. They began to do and begin to follow sacrificing, and, and they began to do all the things that Jewish people did. So they became, in, in respect, they became a Jew. So this is the crowd that Peter's talking to. Please understand that, because that'll be important a little bit later in our sermon. He is talking to the Jewish people, all right? And he's not necessarily talking in tongues anymore. He's not having to talk in a lot of different languages. They all understood Aramaic, and so he's going to speak in their native language, Aramaic, as he begins to speak to them this morning. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Job. Now, on a, on a holy day or any day, a Jewish person would not drink or anything before they had their first meal. And this was a holy day. This was Pentecost. And so more than likely, they would have not even touched food or drink uh, 10 o'clock all the way up. Some went all the way to noon before they touched any drink or any food at all during this. So he said, look, you know, you got to know your audience when you talk to them about the Lord. He knew that they knew what was going on here. They'd come up with some excuse that these people were drunk. They didn't know what they were doing. He said, whoa, wait a minute. You guys know as well as I do. You know what our laws are. You know what we believe in. We believe that you don't touch it until 10, 11, 12 o'clock. And so they're not drunk. This is only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. This is something that's happened that you've been waiting for. And he begins to present the gospel. And he begins to present Jesus in a way that they will understand. You've got to know your audience when you talk to them about Jesus. You've got to find common ground, so to speak. And so he goes back and begins to use the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament people of Joel and David. And he knows that these people, these Jews and these proselyte Jews, they know about the Old Testament. They know what it says. They, they just are required to learn it. It wasn't, it's not like in our day where we can pick it up if we want to or not. Shame on all of us. We should pick this book up as much as we possibly can. But they knew and they were taught and they were expected. They were, it was part of their rules and their laws that they needed to learn the word of God. And so they would learn the Old Testament. All right. And so he's going to take them into something they're very familiar with. He's going to start telling them this is a prophecy that came from the prophet Joel. And he begins to tell them. Verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Does that sound familiar? Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Period. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It takes away all the complication, all of this and that, and all the things that men tried to add. And Peter just says, and all that call upon the name of the Lord from this day forward shall be saved. Everybody say amen. 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 Now, this is from the book of Joel. He begins to preach this, and, and we have to realize that there's something in the Bible called dual references or dual prophecies. A lot of times when you read something like this from an Old Testament prophet, it applied to something going on then, but it also applied to something that would come later, okay? When Pentecost happened, when the Holy Spirit fell, it was kind of like the beginning of the end, all right? What's his first words there in 17? In the last days. Brothers and sisters, we are in the last days, okay? When Peter stood up, He said, right now, start the clock, click, boom, bam, clock, we're in the last days. This is the beginning of the last days. And he said, in these days and the days ahead, not all of this was was come to pass while Peter was talking. Not all this would come to pass that, that moment or in the next few years. Some of this is going to come to pass way in the future. Way in the future, after the tribulation, and right at the end of those seven years of tribulation, and there's going to be wonders and signs, and the Spirit's going to be totally poured out. I'm not so sure. I think think there was a great portion of the Holy Spirit poured out on Pentecost. Don't get me wrong. But the way Peter talks and the way I've studied this week, it looks like there's going to be even a bigger pouring out of the Spirit in these last days. Now, The dual reference here is things happened that day, also in 70 A.D., which wouldn't have been far from this, probably 20, 30 years, they had the the Titus battle came in, the Romans come in and destroyed all of Jerusalem, the temple was destroyed, not one block was left on the other, and they burned it all to the ground, and it was totally destroyed, and so there was some judgment coming, but... Joel is talking about that judgment plus judgment on in the future. So when we see the blood moon and things that we've been seeing lately, these are great things and they may point to something coming, but I don't believe it's talking about the blood moon here they're talking about has not happened yet. I believe it's going to happen later on, later on toward the thousand-year reign when Christ comes back from heaven and sets up his throne on this earth. He's going to set this up and, and about that last year or so, the seven years of tribulation, there's all kind of things going to be going on. And he's going to pour out his spirit on this earth like it's never been poured out before. And all Jews and all proselyte Jews are going to be hearing the gospel. Some of them have never heard it in this way before because they have turned a deaf ear to Jesus and the Messiah and those things. They didn't want to hear that. And that happened in the book of Acts a little bit later on in chapter 10. He will kind of set aside the Jewish people and he will go headstrong after the Gentiles. That's us. Anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. And so he will go straight after the Gentiles, starting about Acts 10. He will set the Jewish people aside for a while and then come back 
And this prophecy of Joel, he'll come back someday at the end of the seven years of tribulation. And this part that we've just read is going to be fulfilled even greater and in a bigger way through Jesus Christ. Everybody shake your head that you understood half of that, all right? I hope you followed me, all right? There's a lot here, guys. This is, this is deep T-bone steak stuff, but it's good stuff. It's stuff we need to know. Also, remember, he's speaking to who? The Jewish people, all right? He's talking to the Jewish people. He says, I will show wonders and signs in the heaven, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I think that was the beginning of the end. The beginning and the last days were in the last days. I believe, I believe from that point when Peter uttered those wonderful words in verse, two, uh, verse 21 of chapter 2, from that time forward, anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to realize that there's, there's turmoil, there's conflict, there's battles, there's people trying to pull you away from God. These people, the Jewish people, a lot of them were trying to pull people away from Jesus because they didn't really believe he was the Messiah. He just couldn't have come that way. He couldn't have been born in some little cave stable thing out here in the middle of nowhere in a little town called Bethlehem. He couldn't have been from Nazareth. Nothing good ever come out of Nazareth. This couldn't be, this couldn't be our Messiah. We want him to ride in on a big old white horse and, and take over and, and just be power and put us in power. What they wanted was for God to take care of them, set them up. And sadly, guys, we're, we're like that sometimes. God, what have you done for me lately? God, how, how big can you be in my life? How much can you give me? Have you got enough faith that God will give you a Cadillac? Have you got enough faith that God will give you a mansion? Been hearing that lately on TV? That's all the time. Guys, that's not what the Word of God's about. It's not what it's about. It's about all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you're saved from something, that means you're in danger. If I'm out here drowning in the pool, I need somebody to save me. I need somebody to get me from danger. And guys, we need to realize that when Christ saved us, we were in danger. We were in danger of perishing forever. And he stood up. He said, I'm coming, Todd. I'm coming. You put your name in there. I'm coming. I'm coming, and I'm going to save you. But you have to reach your arm out and let me save you. You have to reach for me. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be ready. All, we, all he requires is we just put our arm up and reach and grab on, and he's going to take us from there. Because he's not going to save us. We don't want to be saved. I remember that story about a youth group leader. He was seeing one of his kids out there drowning. There was a lady he'd been witnessing to on the bank. You've heard me tell this before, but he was talking to the lady there on the bank, and she said, aren't you going to go save him? She said, no. He said, no, not right now. He said, I will in just a minute. And they kept going up and down and up and down. And he said, finally, I'm okay, I'm going to go. And he brought him in, and everything was okay. She said, I can't believe it. You talk about the love of the Lord and how you need to go in there and, and rescue people and all this stuff. Why did you let him drown? Or why did you let him go under and under and under? He said, because they had to want to be saved before I could save them. And if I went out there and they're thrashing about, they don't want to be saved because they're scared and they're trying to do it on their own. They've got to realize that somebody else has got to save them. They can't do it on their own. He said, but when they got to the point where they'd given up and they'd tried everything they could, and then they'd reach out and let me save them, I could save them. If I'd have went out early, he'd have drowned us all. In the same way with the Lord. We have to get to the point in our life, guys, when we realize that I've tried everything I possibly can try, and I can't save myself. I've got to be saved by Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and what we learned about last Sunday, forgiveness. That's why. That's what I've got to do. Now, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. 
Now, what he's going to start doing is proving to them that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The one you've been waiting on, he was here. He was right in front of you, and you nailed him to a cross. I mean, he's going to get real blunt here in a minute. You know, Jesus Christ had been talking about the one you crucified. Woo. That takes some power to stand up and say that. This is not the same Peter we seen, we seen there in the courtyard a few weeks ago when he said, oh, I don't know him. I don't know him. This is a man filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a man ready to fight the world for Jesus Christ. And he can do the same thing to you and me if we'll be allowed, if he will allow the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fellow Israelites, verse 22, uh, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. First of all, he said, Jesus is alive. I want you to know Jesus is alive, and he's done, this guy that you did said was worth, not worth anything from Nazareth, he's done miracles and wonder signs, and he tried to prove and prove and prove himself that he was the son of God. Matter of fact, he said it a few times, and you would not listen. This man was handed over uh, to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, pointing right at him, and you people, With the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. The one you've been praying for and praying for and praying for, he was here. And you people put him on the cross. I imagine they're getting a little uneasy in their seat about now. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Then he goes to David. They know Joel. They really know David. David's one of the, the greatest men of all time. They worship David. Not supposed to, but they got David so high up on a pestle, they, didn't, they, just didn't, they just loved him. He said, look, David said this about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me, because he at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongues rejoice. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Now, David said, I know he's going to take care of me. There is hope in this man that's coming. I know that the Lord has promised me that one of my, one of my descendants will sit on the throne and his throne will never end. And he was talking about Jesus. And right in the middle of this, about 27, 28, the theme switches from David to Jesus. Okay? Switches from David to Jesus. Because we know David's not at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Okay? And so he's lifting up Jesus. And Peter's telling him, David was a prophet. David knew something big was going to happen. He told you about it. And he said, the one that is the Messiah, death will not hold him. It won't keep him in the grave. He will not allow his, the, the God, our God will not allow his body to see decay, the, the true Messiah. And he said, you know what? Jesus Christ was this man. Now he said, let me tell you why. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses of it. We've seen him alive. 
We spoke to him. We've talked to him. We've put our hands in the prince in his hands. We've touched his side where the spear was. We have seen him, and over 500 of us have seen Jesus alive. Now, you believe Joel? Joel said that they're coming. You believe David? David said one's coming. And now, Jesus Christ fits this mold perfectly. He is bringing to forth all these prophecies that you so much love and that you've read and read and read. And I'm telling you, the man that you nailed to the cross was Jesus Christ, God's son, the Messiah. And he is alive and there is hope in Jesus Christ. There is hope. And so he's proving to them over and over and over in their own language where they can understand that this was Jesus Christ. Then he goes back to David a little bit more. 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies footstools for your feet. That's Jesus, all right? Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Man, you talk about a wake-up call. You talk about reality. You, they're starting to scratch their head. You talking about that man that they brought out there with Barabbas? You know, I really didn't know what was going on. I just kind of got in it with the crowd. The crowd was all hollering crucified. It sounded pretty good, so I just started hollering crucified too. You mean, you mean that man we watched him nail on the cross and shove that crown of thorns on his head? You mean that man was Jesus Christ, the Messiah? And you can, you can just imagine how the blood went from their face. And you can imagine how they started shaking. And you can imagine how the Holy Spirit began to convict them. And son, I'm telling you, the church was fixing to blossom. It was fixing to start. In old Southern Gospel talk here, it was fixing to happen. It was fixing to happen. Let's read. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, brothers, what shall we do? He didn't even have to give an invitation, Brother Gary. They just got so convicted, they stopped, they stopped him right in mid-sermon. said, whoa, wait a minute. We have messed up. We need the saving power of Jesus Christ. What in the world do we need to do to find Jesus Christ? And I'm telling you, they just flogged all 12 of them. They done replaced uh, Judas with Matthias now. And there was 12 of them up there. And Peter stood together with them. And they didn't only ask Peter what we must do. They asked all 12 of them. And they, you can just imagine, they were coming from everywhere. And the Bible says down here a little bit further, and 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Charter members. They were charter members. The very first ones that were part of the church. They were so cut and they were so convicted. And we'd read these words and just reading them off the pages. It convicts us and we, we see the power of the Holy Spirit through just God's word on the page. It's not so much about me getting up here and screaming and hollering and all that. It's just about the power of Jesus Christ. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you read it for yourself, you don't have to be here listening to me. You can read this in your house at night and just so, amen, hallelujah, because God is real and his spirit is real. It's real. And it was exciting, these people. My goodness, my goodness, they said. What a day. What a day. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Guys, I want you to tell you that salvation is available to anyone that will ask for it. Anybody. Your children. Your children's children. Remember just over in John, they said, a curse be on you and a curse be on your children and your children's children because you've crucified the Lord. Here we see forgiveness. There's our word again. Here we see forgiveness. The same group that said you and your children and your children's children are now under a curse. Boom. Christ changes. His death on the cross changed that. The Holy Spirit comes in. There's forgiveness. There's repentance. And now he says, this will fall not only on you, but on your kids and on their kids' kids. Because I have forgiven. And salvation is all, is available to all that will ask and call upon the name of the Lord. What a change. What a change. And what we've just seen a few chapters over in John and how it changed here as we come in to this verse. I'm going to stop there because there's a lot more I want to say right there on verse 238. But I've got another hour, and I'm sure you don't want to stay another hour. But I want us to think about that, and then we'll come back next week, and we're going to hit the next part, okay? But guys, just, just realize today that salvation is available to all. And I love that verse, for all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Somebody asks you, how can I get saved? How can I go to heaven? What do I need to do? Call upon the name of the Lord. Believe that he died. Believe that he paid the price for your sins. And believe not only did he die, but he arose from the dead, and he's alive today. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he speaks on your behalf. Every time I pray, Jesus hears it. He takes those prayers and he relates them to the Father. A lot of times when I pray for forgiveness, which is every day, he takes that and goes to the Father and says, Father Todd's asked for forgiveness, and because of my blood, I ask you to forgive him. And he doesn't see me anymore. He sees Jesus Christ. Man, what an awesome thing that he would love us that much and do that for us. The power of God's Word. Peter hitting home right where they were at. And I'm sure as he preached about Joe and as he preached about David, their heads were just doing this. Yep, I've heard that before. Yep, I've heard that before. I hope we get to see that Messiah and all of a sudden, Peter hits him with the whammy. You know what? You did see him. He's the one you nailed on that cross. But he's alive because this was all ordained by God. And you were not going to stop what God had in planned for Jesus Christ, for the plan of salvation, for you to find. Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's bow together. And Father, we are just excited about your word. Lord, we can just read it off the page and it, it just puts excitement in our soul. Lord, thank you for loving us this much. Lord, thank you for bringing the word not only to the Jewish people here, but opening that door even further and, and bringing it to us. Lord, thank you so much for what you do and, and how you do it. And Lord, thank you for, for coming and dying for, for me on the cross and for these great people here. Lord, help us never grow weary of talking about that. Lord, help us not to stop talking about our Savior. And Lord, may we take the power that is in us through the Spirit and not be afraid. Just as Peter stood up, he wasn't afraid because he knew he was speaking the truth about you. 
Lord, speak to hearts today. Lord, if there's someone here that's, that's never given their heart to you, Lord, maybe today in the middle of these raindrops, they would just come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I didn't know it was available to everybody, and I, I want it. Or maybe there's someone here that, that they just want to come and pray for. Maybe there's somebody home that don't know you yet, Lord, and they want to pray for family, or maybe they want to come and join this family. Lord, whatever it is today, we just pray that you'll speak to these wonderful people. In your name we pray. Amen.